Well, today I thought we'd go ahead and take a look at the book of Romans, actually Romans chapter 1. Obviously it's in the New Testament after the book of Acts. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. It's funny, nowadays we can't just say, I can't just say open your Bibles, I have to say open your phone apps (laughs) to Romans chapter (laughs) 1. And let's go ahead and jump right on into verse 1 here. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, in the book of Acts, which is the book just prior to the book of Romans here, uh, on a few different occasions, the Apostle Paul makes mention of the fact that the gospel that he preached was all contained in the prophets. In other words, the scriptures that they had in Paul's day had the gospel message in them. We have those same scriptures today in the Old Testament, right? So Paul, as he writes this letter to the believers in Rome, he's not preaching a new doctrine to them, but rather he's pointing out the fulfillment of an age-old doctrine, something that's already been preached in the prophets, something that they that was already promised has now come to fruition And he's preaching that gospel to them. Today, you and I have a newer set of scriptures than Paul had in his day. Not different, but new. We have the writings of the apostles themselves as well, like we're studying here. We have 66 books that tell of the gospel of God. We have both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And every word in Your Bible is God's Word, conveyed through men by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So the Word of God is powerful, and and it's something that God intends for us to know and to understand. It's His desire that we know about Him, and that, like I was praying, that we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Him. It's His desire. That's why He's given us His Word. The Word of God, though, is the basis for our knowledge of God and for the knowledge of His will for our lives as individuals. So Paul, after coming to the knowledge of Christ himself, he then dedicated his life to the preaching of the gospel of God. So he points out here his purpose in life as we read these verses. He was to preach the gospel, the good news that God foretold and promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures of old. Now, I just want to show you an example here of what the Apostle Paul preached. So go ahead and keep this page marked because we're going to come right back to it. But let's uh, turn for a few moments to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the very next book after Romans here. Go ahead and find 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and starting in verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. So what I'm showing you here is this gospel that Paul's beginning to talk about in the book of Romans that he preached. What was it? This, this gospel that he said was in the scriptures, was in the prophets of old. What was it? Well, he's saying, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to to the scriptures. Now, notice there, first of all, that everything quoted there in those two verses is according to the scriptures, just like Paul said back in Romans chapter 1. But here in these two verses, 
we see very simply the gospel that Paul preached. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. This is very good news for mankind. The news that all of mankind needs to hear even till this very day that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We can be free from sin. We can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. He was buried. He was dead. But he didn't remain dead. He rose again from the dead and he's coming again. So as Paul, go ahead and turn back to Romans chapter 1, but as Paul begins in Romans here, he talks about this gospel, the gospel of God that he preached. And I just wanted to give you a just a small little example of what Paul talked about. There's much more in the scriptures here. But in verse 3, back in Romans chapter 1, speaking of the gospel of God um, that Paul was called to preach, he said, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So when it talks about being born of the seed of David, that simply means that's his lineage, that's his ancestors. You follow that line all the way back to King David and, of course, beyond that. But they're saying he was very much in the flesh, but he's also the son of God in the spirit because we know that Mary was not impregnated by a man. Mary was impregnated by the Spirit of God. So he's the Son of God, but he's also referred to in scriptures as the Son of Man because he came in the flesh as well, right? But all of this that we see here is uh, all part of the gospel message, right? But it's the resurrection that separates Jesus from all others. Okay. We have a risen Lord, like I said, a, a Lord that is someday to come again. He's alive and well, and today He indwells, or He lives within the heart of, by His Spirit, every born-again person, every person that will come to Christ in faith and place their trust in Him, He indwells us. And we have that power, the power of the resurrection within us. We can walk through this life with that power. We can walk through this life with the comfort of the Holy Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Bible points out the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. We can have all of these things indwelling us when our lives are fixed and rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, okay? So Paul himself, he says, I'm giving you a message that was delivered to me. We saw that when we just went over to Corinthians, right? Hey, this is what came to me, and this is what I'm giving to you, okay? So Paul had that encounter with Jesus Christ himself, that personal experience, which caused him to then dedicate his whole life all the way till his death. He would die for the name of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, so that for generations to come, people like you and I could be sitting in a room in a house like this and we could hear the gospel message, we could know the gospel message. And there's a world full of people all around us that can still hear this, okay? And for you and me, the risen Lord dwelling within our hearts is a, a direct result of somehow, some way, we heard the gospel message. Somehow, some way, we heard about Jesus Christ and what he's done. So that's why we can have Christ in us today. The Bible says that Christ in you is your hope of glory. Christ in us is our hope of glory. All right, so I don't know how you, know, uh, how you came to Christ or for those listening uh, to this recording or even if you have come to Christ yet, um, but somehow in order to be saved, a person needs to come to Christ because in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says that there's no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. No other name. No other religion, no other person, no other, you know, religious figure, no other name. 
It's Jesus and Jesus alone that people must hear the gospel and they must come to faith in Jesus. The followers of Jesus Christ today must keep in mind that the world around us needs the name of Jesus, the gospel message, the same message that we received worth to deliver to others, which is why I spend the time to do this and to put these recordings out there in hopes that people can hear the gospel and come to faith in Jesus Christ themselves. And the Apostle Paul, speaking of himself and the other apostles, he goes on to say here in verse 5, he says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So Paul, as he writes this letter, it tells us here in verse 6 that we too are the called of Jesus Christ as the readers of this letter, as the recipients of this letter, right? Uh, he says he has been called, he has been set apart for the gospel, but so are you and I. We've been set apart for the gospel because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul continues here in verse 7, and he says, to all who are in Rome, so now this is who the letter was directed to, right? To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, a few things stand out to me here in some of those verses. For one, it's important that we pray for one another. Paul, as a believer, is writing a letter to believers telling them that he prays for them, telling him that he constantly prays for them. But notice that Paul, in verse 11, says that he wants to come and see them and impart some spiritual gift to them. But in verse 12, he also wants to be encouraged by them. So you see, we have a mutual faith. In other words, Paul's saying, I want to come and, and bring my spiritual gift to you. But I also need to be encouraged by you. I also need to receive what you have. I'm encouraged in who you are in Christ. He says, and your faith is spoken of throughout all the world, but I need what you have and, and I want to bring to you something here. So it's a, Paul calls it a mutual faith, right? And each one of us, as I have brought up several times in the past, as I've taught, each one of us is gifted by the Holy Spirit in one way or another, if we're yielding to the Holy Spirit. And that's the key. We've got to be yielding our lives to the Holy Spirit. It's something where each and every day when we wake up, we can either just go through that day being led by the flesh, being led by our carnal minds, being led by our own decisions, by our own thoughts, whatever they may be, be they positive thoughts or negative thoughts, whatever, whatever side of the bed they say, you know, what side of the bed did you wake up on? When someone is grumpy, they say well, they woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right? So we can go through life like that, or we can go through life dead to ourselves, dying to ourselves, and being led by the Spirit. And really, I believe that's a choice that we have each and every day, because we're still in these bodies, and we're still carrying around this flesh, this baggage, and we still have all of these thoughts that have been ingrained in our minds from our youth all the way up till now, and they're all in there. And we can choose to live by them, Right? Or we die to them and we surrender that day to Christ and we fix our eyes on Jesus, as it tells us in Hebrews, who is the author 
and the finisher of our faith. In other words, it all starts with Jesus, it all ends with Jesus, and we need to be focused on Jesus. How do we know of Jesus? How do we know of the will of God for our lives? The Word of God, right? So we go and we read and we, we learn. Just like we've been studying through the Old Testament, we looked at Genesis and getting through Exodus, and we can look and we say, ah, oh, see what those people did? But if we really are honest, we say, well, I would have done the same thing, you know, on the mistakes, or I would have did this, or I would have done that, whatever, right? But each one of us is gifted, and I need the gift that you bring to the body of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, and you need the gift that I bring to the body of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. And by bringing our gifts to each other, we are then able to encourage one another. I mean, that's what I set out to do here on Sunday mornings, to encourage you, to exhort you, to, to do what? To seek the Lord, to know the Lord, to follow the Lord, to serve the Lord, to grow in the Lord, right? And this is very important that we encourage one another and something that I think is uh, very much overlooked in Christianity today. When the body of Christ gathers, it, it should never be where just it's all about what one person is doing or five people are doing or whatever. Each and every member of the body of Christ has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. So Paul was an apostle, but he needed the rest of the body. I am a Bible teacher and a pastor, and I operate in those gifts, along with other spiritual gifts the Lord may give me, but I need what the body brings as well to support what I do, you know, what the body can do as well. So moving on, Paul continues the opening of his letter to the Romans here, and in verse 13, he says, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in, who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, Paul was not ashamed to preach the gospel, he's declaring here, to whomever, wherever, right? You see, the Roman Empire was a powerful empire. It was also a very proud empire. It was filled with many scholars and philosophers in Paul's day, many men that they would call wise and of great understanding. And the Romans had no special fondness for the Jews. The Jews were conquered by the Romans in that day. And the gospel message that Paul shared contained a story about a Jewish carpenter that was crucified, dead, and buried. But Paul says, it doesn't matter what you think. I'm not ashamed to preach this gospel message because he knows that this gospel message is the power of God that brings people to salvation. So it didn't matter where he preached it. It didn't matter what the people thought of who the message was about. To Paul, it didn't matter, right? Paul knew that in order to be saved, a person needed to hear this message and they needed to place their faith in the one to whom this message referred to. And regarding the gospel, Paul says in verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So how is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. Well, first of all, keep in mind that in verse 1, Paul called the gospel the gospel of God. As we went on a few verses there, we saw he called it the gospel of his son, of God's son. We hear the gospel referred to as the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, remember, though, that we can read in John chapter 1 and verse 14 
that the Word, that God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel message in that the righteousness of God overcame the unrighteousness of man, the unrighteousness of sin, okay? Death has been swallowed up in righteousness in that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered death. The sin that once held us all captive and was a cause for us to be eternally separated from God, that sin was defeated by the righteousness of God when God became flesh and dwelt among us and defeated sin and death. God became a man, went to the cross, died for the sin of man, and then rose from the dead. So therefore, the gospel message reveals the righteousness of God. We're unrighteous. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs a Savior. But where's the righteousness of God? It is in Jesus Christ. The good news, the gospel message is that Jesus made us righteous. We can have righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, we still have the choice to get up and to go walk through life by our flesh or to get up and to go walk, through, walk by faith. He says, the just shall live by faith. Okay? So when we've been made just, that means we've been made righteous, we now become a people that now walk by faith, not by sight, not by the way we feel or the way we understand things or the way we think it should be or this, that, or the other thing, but we walk by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, okay? I want to touch on that. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. But the, when he says from faith to faith there in verse um, 17, that might be a difficult uh, phrase to understand, but I personally look at that phrase in a way that says to me that God's righteousness was received in me by faith. And, and I now have to walk by faith all the way Till the end. So faith continues on from faith to faith to faith to faith. It's not just a one time thing I receive faith today and it's done, right? Because tomorrow I've got to wake up to a new day, a whole new set of circumstances, a whole new set of temptations and trials and all of these things that I got to face, but I've got to keep walking by faith, right? We need to stop trying to see God with our eyes or experience him with our senses. Remember, faith in Hebrews, faith says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a verse that you really need to meditate on because it's the substance of things hoped for. What's a substance? Something that you can pick up, right? This has substance to us as I hold this in my hand, right? But it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So it's really not in my hand. I'm hoping for it, right? It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? To look at it that way. But yet, that's what faith is. And that's why we have to keep walking by faith. Every day, I, for 31, 32 years now, 32 years now, walking with Christ, I've still never seen him. I can't, if you're from Missouri, right, the show me state, I can't show you him. I can't, I don't have a picture of him. I can't show him to you. But I keep walking by faith in him. Through trials and tribulations, ups and downs, no money, some money, you know, whatever it might be, I just keep pressing on by faith, right? It's very easy for people to stop trusting in God when they don't see or they can't touch the results of their faith. They give up on God and they throw God out because, well, I don't see it. I don't know, or this happened and it shouldn't have happened. All right? But that's not what faith is. 
we came to Christ by faith, and we must continue to walk in Him by faith. We have been made righteous by faith. And if we stay the course, we will be made righteous by faith. In the end, right, we'll receive that salvation. Now, starting here in verse 18 and going all the way through to chapter 3, verse 20, I'm not going to do that, but I'm just telling you that starting here in verse 18, all the way through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul's not going to be preaching the gospel per se, but he will be explaining the reason and the necessity for the gospel message. He's going to declare the, the necessity for the gospel. And he says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, so mankind is faced with a serious problem. And that problem is, is that the wrath of God, okay, wrath, anger, severe anger, the wrath of God is against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Mankind, right, those that have not come to faith in Jesus, those that have not been born again, they suppress the truth of God. And they live their lives in an ungodly and an unrighteous manner. And they ignore the truth of God or they suppress it, they hold it down, they keep it back, right? Now, how is it that man as a whole um, suppresses the truth of God? Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. How, how has God shown it to them? They're suppressing the truth, and there's no excuse. You're going to see, we'll get to that point. There's no excuse for mankind not knowing God, because He's revealed it to them, but they're suppressing it. How? Well, verse 20, for since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now that kind of sounds like what I'm talking about with faith, right? His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Okay? Being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So, the very fact that there is a righteous God is revealed to all of mankind. And in the end, no one will have an excuse for not knowing that, that there's a God, right? And all we have to do is look at the things, like it says there, that have been made. Just look at creation itself. Just look at the trees, Right? The sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, the rivers, the streams, right? The animals, our own physical lives, right? But part of suppressing the truth for mankind is to believe the lie that there is no creator. Right? That it all just happened as a result of a big bang. Right? But no lie ever changes the truth. You know, if we can apply that to our whole lives, we'll be far better off. No lie ever changes the truth. And mankind, even without the gospel message being heard by them, have the ability to see and to know that there is a God, a creator. There's no excuse. But Paul's saying mankind suppresses that truth. So, so God cares. God loves the world. God reaches out. He wants people to know. So he didn't just say, hey, you know what? I'm visible in creation. You can see me in creation. That's all you get. No, he went to greater lengths than that to reach us. He gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. You can see God exists just if you look at creation and you open your heart to the truth. You see He, he exists, but man suppresses that truth. And children are being brought up in schools, being taught other things like evolution. And being taught there's no God. 
and we wonder why they behave like animals, and we have to cage them when they're older and throw them in prison because they behave like animals, because they're not being taught there's a God, there's a Creator that makes them, and that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? But there's no excuse, no excuse at all for people not knowing God. But again, God in His great love went to great lengths to give us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And verse 21 continues and says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice there that verse 21 declares that Mankind does know God, but they do not glorify Him, and instead they lean upon their futile thoughts. And as a result of leaning upon their futile thoughts, their hearts are darkened. All right? But you know, there is a light that can illuminate the dark hearts of men and women. Okay? I'll show it to you here. Go ahead and mark this page. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, toward the back of your Bible. If you find one book that begins with the letter T, you're close because all the books that begin with the letter T are right next to each other. We're looking for 2 Timothy chapter 1. And if you have your handy-dandy phone apps, there's no excuse for not finding it. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 1. And we'll start reading in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Now, this is another letter written by Paul, who actually was in prison for preaching the gospel. Okay. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before time began. That's why I was just explaining to you that God went the extra distance to reach us, to care for us, and to love us, to reach out to us. By his grace, not because we were deserving, not because we've done works that were worthy, but because of his love, he reached out. Verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So through the gospel, the gospel has illuminated mankind to life and immortality. We have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a light that can be shined or has shown in our hearts that we might know God, right? We have an everlasting life when we believe in the gospel message. So do you see how important the gospel message is? Again, that's what Paul's pointing out in Romans, how important the gospel message is. It is the power of God that brings salvation. The message that the Savior has appeared, that He has abolished death. He has conquered death, being risen from the dead. He ascended back into heaven from where He came. And He will like, in like manner return someday, right? But for now, since He has not yet returned, the grace of God, that is the opportunity to be saved, is still being offered to mankind. But mankind, for the most part today, mankind as a whole, still desires to suppress the truth and go on living in a manner that they choose, right? As if there's no God in the first place. They don't want to say a God even exists, but they have no excuse. They just look around and see, oh, there's a God that created all this. And as we look back at Romans chapter 1, again, mankind as a whole thinks that they don't need God. They think that they'll be okay. They're okay without God. They're their own God, whatever they might believe. Or they come up with their own religion, 
another religion, another leader, someone that they lift up in their lives and they idolize and they say, oh yeah, he's my God, he's everything or whatever, right? Verse 22 says, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, right? You know, when I think of an image made like corruptible man, right? It says there that they changed the glory in verse 23. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man. You know, I can't help but think how people do idolize men and women in our day and age. They lift up men and women that have risen to places of prominence in our society or some level of what we call success, and they think that these people can do no wrong. It always cracks me up when these actors or actresses get up and act like they know everything, like they're all powerful, and they give their opinions on political things and all of that stuff, like, man, all you're doing is reading a script somebody gives you. You're no genius. Just stick to what you do, you know? But people idolize actors and actresses today. They idolize singers, right? People that get on stage and do these things, and people will lift these kind of people up, right? People will make gods out of anything and everything, including themselves and other men and women, as long as it keeps them suppressing the truth. As long as they don't have to come to the gospel. The gospel, why? Because the gospel requires them to repent, to stop their sin to stop their sinful ways, to deny themselves. That's why they don't want to hear it. And that's why they want the, the Word of God taken out of society, because they want to live the way they want to live, right? People love living in sin, and they, they love darkness, and they don't want to come to the light, right? Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about the gospel, and he says, even if our gospel is veiled. In other words, even if our gospel is hidden, if it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, so there's, there it is again, the light of the gospel, lest the light of the, the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So he's saying, They've darkened their eyes to it. They've veiled it to it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want that gospel. Because why? The God of this age has blinded their eyes. Who's the God of this age? The God of this age, when it's written in the Bible like that, it's a little G God. It's not a capital G God. It's not talking about God, our God, the God of all creation. It's talking about Satan. It's talking about the ruler of this present time who is infiltrating the minds of people and keeping people from seeing the truth of the gospel, right? So if you want to worship images made by man, Satan will gladly give you the experience that you want as long as you don't come to the light of the gospel. But day by day, people still refuse to repent and turn to the living God. And these are people that you see in everyday life, right? On the internet, on television, in the movies, people that you work with, our own family members, whatever it may be, people want to suppress the truth and not come to God. And as we turn back again to, uh, I didn't have you turn there, I was going to have you turn there, but here in Romans, we're seeing this morning that mankind wants to suppress the truth about righteousness and godliness. And what is God's response to all of this? Verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what's being said here is that this was not God's choice, right? This is mankind's choice. 
If they want to walk in what God's word calls here uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, and they want to dishonor their bodies, then that's up to them. God's not stopping them. He's not stopping them. God isn't going to force himself on anyone. He's given his love. He's shown his love in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's up to people to make that choice to come to it. Some people today say, well, all that Bible stuff is for you. That's not for me. If it works for you, that's fine, but I'm okay, right? And they go off and they dishonor God with their lifestyle. And again, that's their own choice. God will allow them to do so. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their own error, which was due. Wow, as I, as I read this, I can't help think, was the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans or to the Americans? <laughs> you know, when you look at what's happening in our society today, nothing new under the sun, right? Sin is sin. It was sin then and it's sin now. Nothing has changed. Sin might be more out in the open nowadays. They call it coming out of the closet right? This type of sin might be more open. It might be more acceptable, but there's nothing new about it, okay? You see, even if the government passes laws that says, oh, this type of sin is legal, it doesn't change the fact that it's sin. It doesn't change the fact that it separates men and women from God and that it suppresses the truth of God, right? And if you profess to be a believer in God, well then, which side are you going to stand for? Your political party that legislates sin or for the word of God? doesn't matter what the government does. We stand upon the word of God. God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness. Verse 28 says, And even if they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. Now remember, sexual immorality is any sex outside of a God-designed marriage. And what is a God-designed marriage? A God-designed marriage is in the pages of the Bible, right? Adam and Eve, okay? Be it heterosexual sex, homosexual sex, whatever. Any sex outside of marriage is unrighteous. God didn't design it. It's not supposed to be that way. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. People make mistakes. We mess up. But it doesn't change the truth of God. All we do is repent. We turn to God. No matter what the sin we're living in. No matter what kind of sin has, has overtaken us, we need to lay it aside. And we need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So this is not, the Bible's not a us against them thing, Right? The Bible's not saying, okay, we're over here, you come join. No, the Bible is God's love. The Bible is God's love reaching out to people lost in sin, whatever kind of sin it may be. But what I'm saying is, is if the government comes along and says, well, this isn't sin, we don't go by that. We go by what the Bible says, you know, what sin is. And we seek the Word of God. We seek the, the knowledge of God through His Word. We seek to live in a way that he desires us to live, right? But Paul's simply pointing out here that mankind as a whole wants to suppress the truth. This is truth what we're reading. We can see it all around us that people want to suppress the truth. It goes on, the, sin, the list of sins goes on. Verse 29, right? Wickedness, covetousness, um, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. So again, right, do you fall somewhere in this list or have you ever fallen somewhere in this list? You may say, I've not murdered. I'm not a homosexual. 
Yeah, but have you ever been a backbiter, a whisperer, somebody that's talked behind somebody's back? Have you ever been untrustworthy in your life? Have you ever been unloving, unforgiving, proud? Have you ever been disobedient to parents? Well, then you fall in this list, right? So again, this is not a point the finger at one type of sin kind of thing, is it? It covers us all, doesn't it? We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God and we all need a Savior. So there's good news. There's a Savior. There's the gospel message. And that's what Paul is pointing out. Everybody needs Him. Everybody needs Him, right? But wouldn't it be a a travesty? Wouldn't it be just terrible to say, oh, well, if you have this kind of sin in your life, you're okay. You can keep doing it. Yeah, we, we don't want to tell you you're a sinner. So if you're, if you're a backbiter, a gossip, and a whisperer over here, but you're a homosexual over there, we can tell the backbiter, the, gospel and the, whisperer, or the gossip, and the whisperer, hey, you're a sinner and you need to come to salvation, but we can't tell the homosexual that they're a sinner. Well, that's the way it's come. And I believe the day will come when what I'm preaching right now will put me in jail the way our society is going, right? They're they're calling you a hater if you say anything against homosexuality. Well, I'm saying homosexuality is sin. Why am I saying it? Because the Bible says it. Because God's Word says it. But guess what? So is the person that's disobedient to parents, right? So you talk about something that you might want to call major and something you might want to call minor? No. Sin is sin. The fact is, is we all need a savior. God loves that person that's lost in homosexual sin. God loves them and God is reaching out to them with the gospel. And God loves that disobedient person to parents as well. And God's reaching out to them. God wants to reach the young and the old, whatever, whomever it may be, right? God wants to reach them with Jesus Christ. We don't want to suppress the truth. We cannot suppress the truth of the gospel. Verse 32 continues speaking to mankind and says, uh, about mankind, rather, I should say, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Do we see that in our society today? The approval of it, right? Oh, let's, we'll approve it. We'll legislate this and we'll say that this type of sin over here is okay. Well, at what point do we take this list and say, okay, well, we're going to call this sin over here okay. Well, can we take murder? Because murder was on this list too. Will our society ever come to the point where the government makes a law that says, hey, murderers, eh, that's the way they feel. That's the way they think they should live. Who are we to say murderers shouldn't murder? Who are we to really say that, right? They're both on the same list here, right? Whether it's homosexuality or murder. Why should we legislate one and not the other? Right? Well, there's an obvious reason we shouldn't. Because it's God's Word. And what do we stand upon? Do we, do we stand upon the Word of God? The B-I-B-L-E, right? Or do we stand upon the Word of the government? The Word of society? and the word of people around us, right? And that's the choice for us here, right? So, again, remember, John 3.17. I quoted John 3.16 earlier. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever believes on him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. But then John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So there's no condemnation. Jesus Christ isn't coming and condemning the the gossip or the homosexual. That's not why he came. He came to save them. He came to offer salvation to them, to offer love to them, right? But just like the gossip needs to repent, the homosexual, the murderer, the backbiter, the un untrustworthy, the unloving, the unforgiving, the unmerciful, the disobedient to parents. They all need to repent. We all need to repent. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God's not condemning. God's reaching out. Romans chapter 5 says that God demonstrates 
His own love to us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly, for the sinner, right? I want to close here for today. I didn't quite get through everything I wanted to here, but we're going to close today just based on time. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word, your holy word, your righteous word. God, we understand that we need you. God, we are wretched. Lord, I know that as I sit here and even as I teach this, I am a wretched man in need of a Savior. And I thank you, Father God, that you sent Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, that, that just by believing on Him, we can have everlasting life. And when we believe on Jesus, your Spirit indwells us and gives us hope and peace and love and joy and faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control, and goodness, and kindness. Lord, it's all because of you and what you do, Lord. It's not because of us and what we do, God. Again, I pray for each and every person listening here, Lord. Whatever sin has taken them over, Lord, whatever sin rules and reigns in their hearts, Lord, we've all been there, done that. We all fall short. And God, I pray that your love would reach them right now that they would cry out to you right now, even as they hear this teaching and even as they hear this prayer, God, that they would cry out to you. But I pray for all of us in this room here right now that we too, Lord, would take it serious, that we would cry out to you, that we would confess our sin unto you. We have an advocate. We have Jesus Christ. We have you, Lord, to call out to. God, let your spirit rule and reign in our lives, Lord. Bring truth, Lord. I pray that we would not be a people that suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, we, we keep our sin and we keep walking in our sin. And by so doing, we're suppressing the truth. We're holding back the truth from having its effect in our hearts, God. So let your spirit rule and reign in our lives. Let your will be done each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.